I remember my first year at LMP kind of having that I can't believe I worked here moment of this is amazing and yet what a strange job because we were sitting around a table and we were literally trying to figure out how to break into a bank. Hello and welcome to the Hacker Next Door podcast where we explore the origin stories, exploits, and everyday lives of real world hackers. I'm your host, Jeremy N. Smith. And this series is my chance to challenge stereotypes and examine the human side of this extraordinary activity and profession, who hackers really are, and how hacking really works. My guest today is Karen Spranger, Chief Operating Officer of LMG Security, the real name for the company featured in my book, Breaking and Entering, which makes Karen the right-hand woman of my main character, the female hacker called Alien. LMG is a team of professional hackers that businesses and government agencies hire to try to break into them, to find the holes in their security. Or, if you've already been breached, they figure out what happened and how to respond. As you'll hear, Karen is warm, funny, and surprisingly cool-headed despite a job that has her dealing with crises on a daily basis. I'm grateful for all that she's taught me, and I hope you learn as much from our conversation as I did. Quick note, I didn't vet Karen's mic properly before we started talking, so you'll sometimes hear what sounds like wind around her as she speaks. My apologies. Thanks for joining me, Karen. Thanks for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. Your job is somehow managing a bunch of hackers. What is a typical day in the office for you? How do clients come to LMG in the first place? And how many projects do you have going on at a time? Oh, I'm going to start backwards on that. So at any given time, we have... 50 to 80 active projects happening. And projects tend to go very quickly. So if we're doing testing, it's probably three to four weeks from start to finish by the time they have a finished report in their hand. And the testing is probably over a week, week and a half. Forensics cases can go longer depending on what we're investigating. So there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, Clients find us honestly, primarily by word of mouth, they need some kind of help. And they were talking to someone who has already worked with us and said, you need to talk to these folks. I kind of picture almost the reverse image of a police station where there's a big whiteboard with all the active cases. Is there a thing like that where it's like Jimmy and Amy are going to break into a bank today and then Allison and Sam are cracking the art museum and then Daryl and Samantha are going to test this self-driving car and see if they can get it to crash. Is that the sort of uh, nature of the thing? You just turn a corner and there's some different kind of boiler room scheme or kind of criminal operation simulation happening? It really is. Our our team is very collaborative. And so uh, a lot of the planning or the discussion about how to do these things um, really starts around a table. Um, I remember my first year at LMG kind of having that I can't believe I worked here moment of this is amazing and yet what a strange job because we were sitting around a table and we were literally trying to figure out how to break into a bank. And it's not the kind of conversation that people normally have in their office. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, here we, we had the majority of the company sitting around the table thinking about, you know, well, should we go in as a maintenance person or is it better to go in as a potential customer and how are we going to get to the vault? And, uh, it, and at the same time, 
And that same year I had learned how to pick locks because you know if you need to get into a server and prove that you could attach a device to it, you need to be able to pick the lock on the server cabinet. <laughs> so you guys do physical breaking and entering as well as sort of remote computer bit. The sort of stereotype is someone, mm-hmm. you know, internet cafe typing a few things and going, I'm in. But you also roll in in person. Is that? Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. What is the balance there? If there is a typical mix of work or a work week, I mean, you said 80 or, you know, at a time, what's four or five things that might be going on on a Tuesday morning? Well, uh, I can give you an example just from our past week. Um, we'll, we'll be testing a web application for a client. So make, they're getting ready to release it publicly. They want to make sure that they have all the vulnerabilities locked up before they do. We've also got someone on site who uh, at that time was testing, um, doing social engineering against uh, a group of credit unions in the Midwest. Social engineering meaning what? Meaning that her job was to try to get into the vault in the credit unions and the server room without anyone stopping her. I've heard social engineering called kind of human hacking. She's trying to Mm -hmm. sort of be in person, trick other people in person, in authority, into letting her into these privileged spaces. Absolutely. The most vulnerable piece of any network is the human mind. Mm. <laughs> All right. Those are a couple. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, you said this week, and it's. I wish I should note that when we're talking, it's it's only Thursday now. So this yeah. is, uh, <laughs> we've, we've got a couple examples of, of a few days of work. What, what are mm-hmm. a couple other cases you're handling this week? We're also handling um, a a law firm that experienced a very large ransomware attack. So um, hit a few hundred computers and servers in their environment. And so helping them not only contain and recover from that, but then providing um, incident response in terms of a forensic analysis to determine, you know, how did they get in? did they look around while they were there? Did they take anything? Did they leave anything behind? And ransomware is when malicious software gets installed on your computer network and it sort of locks up your data and then the, the bad guys hold it for ransom. You have to pay them to get it unlocked. Is that That's working? Exactly. Another one we were working on is we had another consultant in Canada who was leading a tabletop. Um, exercise for a company. So that's where we come in and we bring in uh, key members from the company, uh, IT, communications, legal, uh, executive level, and we get them all in a room around a table and we take their incident response plan and we create a scenario for them and say, okay, uh, your network just got hit with ransomware. What do you do? And then they walk through their incident response plan and look for holes and um, make sure that they could respond if they get hit with something like that. I feel like you guys need your own branded version of the game Risk. It sounds like <laughs> that would be a good idea. It's like we don't you know, forget about Irkutsk. You know, you can just sort of worry about ransomware for a bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, does the stereotype hold of kind of hackers and you, you and your team being up all night staring at a green screen in the dark? Or do you, with the sort of pizza boxes piling ever higher <laughs> outside the door that you never open, mm-hmm. or do you, with the shades drawn, of course, because <laughs> of you're course. vampires and the light would, <laughs> would eliminate you, or or do you work like normal nine to five 
hours. Well, I do have people who prefer to work in a dark office, right on. <laughs> you know, okay. but I think the interesting thing is, is we do tend to think of hackers as antisocial people who they're, they can only work through a screen. And that has not been the case that I've found at all. They're, they're very focused people. So yeah, there are times when they're going to go sit and stare at a screen and get very involved in what they're doing, but they're also very skilled at explaining what they're doing or what they're finding and how do we make it right. So I'm so fortunate. We have an amazing team here that they're not only talented, but they have amazing people skills. And so they're able to work with clients and, and they're also able to interact with each other and collaborate very well together. It's a very supportive team it, to the fact that um, nine of them are doing the Spartan race with me in a week and a half. What is the Spartan race? I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm, my calves are sore just hearing those, those yeah, words. I'm it, afraid. It's, it's an obstacle course race and okay. they have them all over the world. But the one in Montana is in the mountains up by Big Fork, Montana. It's more Spartan than usual. <laughs> yes. And it's it's part of what Spartan calls their mountain series. Uh, so there's a lot of climbing up and down mountains involved. And then, so you cover three to five miles and you do 20 obstacles along the way, which could involve anything oh from hoisting 90 pounds of sand um, up a 20 feet on a rope or climbing a rope to uh, wading through muddy water and ducking under a wall. And I did it last year. Uh, it was kind of my, my reward challenge to prove that I had completely recovered from a bout with breast cancer. And this year they decided that they wanted to join in the fun. And so we're all going to go out and do that together. Get muddy. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> You're definitely challenging the sort of pocket protector. Uh, yes. I can't. I can't have my glasses break <laughs> yeah. stereotype. So, yes. you know, what do you look for in hiring a professional hacker? Mm -hmm. Obviously, if they're going to run this race with you, they're mm -hmm. going to need to be able to lift 90 pound bags of sand. It is. I guess. Yes. Yeah. But we'll put that aside for the moment <laughs> because it's it's this interesting combination. I would think of sort of you need someone who's devious and also responsible. You know, yes. how do you manage someone whose job is to break the rules? <laughs> I think part of it is you're you're looking for people who are very ethical. Uh, I mean, everything that we do in this job, we have access that no one else should or would have. Um, we have access to all kinds of information. So we need to be assured that they're ethical people and they're going to handle it appropriately. So, you know, we're not looking for someone who has been arrested five times and <laughs> suddenly decided, eh, maybe I'll try the other side. Well, they're only arrested because um, they get caught. Exactly. So they're not good enough. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but um, I, I think we're looking for people with a healthy sense of curiosity because really that's all hacking is, is it's someone who's curious. We're curious. How does it, what, how does it, that work or why does it work that way? Or I wonder what would happen if you did this, that's really mm. all hacking is. Mm. And so we're looking for people with a great sense of curiosity, very ethical, um, but also wanting to learn because cybersecurity changes so quickly. You need to be able to learn 
constantly and enjoy it. Um, there, there's never a day goes by that we don't learn something new. And then we also look for people who have people skills because really the actual hacking is only about 20% of the job. The rest of it is, you know, writing reports that explain to our client exactly what we did and what we found and how they can fix it. And it's collaborating with your coworkers on how can we best deliver this project or how can we meet their goals. So we, we really look for someone who can work with people and contribute. Do I understand right that one of your sort of specialties, you know, obviously a lot of your staff is doing the day-to-day -day stuff and you're managing it, but mm -hmm. you are pretty intimately involved often in these ransomware negotiations. And I wondered mm -hmm. what that means. And does that mean you're actually talking or communicating with the criminal hackers, the black hat hackers, and I want to mm -hmm. get a sense of who's on the other side of the world or the other side of the network or, you know, the other side of the, the other side of the block, maybe the neighbor that doesn't yeah. know you're a hacker, you don't know they're a hacker either. Yeah, I am our, I guess you'd call it lead hostage negotiator, uh, not something I ever anticipated doing <laughs> with my life. But what that means is that when a client is in a situation where they have no other choice but to pay a ransom, so in other words, their backups are corrupt or they got encrypted during the, the attack as well, they decide that it's more beneficial or necessary to pay a ransom. And so my job is to email the attacker because they always leave a note behind telling how to get in touch with them and then to negotiate with them what it's going to cost to actually bring the matter to a close and, and get their data back. Wow. I yeah. mean, I'm just thinking like, you know, even if I said, okay, I'll pay, I'll pay. And someone says, okay, I, I need $80,000 in Bitcoin in the next 16 <laughs> hours. I'm like, I, I don't, you know, it's in a weird yeah. way. I'm like, I feel like it would be easier for me to get $80,000 in cash on bat and yes. sort of unmarked bills and bags that I could leave under the bridge. I, I don't actually yeah. don't, you know, how do you get $80,000 in, in Bitcoin in 24 hours? Is that something you have to know how to do too? Uh-huh. It is. Yeah. So, uh, we, which we work with, uh, a Bitcoin broker who we know who, um, helps us get them quickly because I mean, that's the difficulty of people finding themselves in that situation is even if they can figure out how to buy Bitcoin to begin with, most of the, uh, you know, legal ways of getting Bitcoin require that you have built up some sort of a history of buying Bitcoin. So you can't just open an account and say, I'll have 80,000 in Bitcoin. You have to, you know, they'll give you like, a hundred dollar limit the first day, and then you'll move up to 300 or 500 or a thousand, um, you know, over a period of weeks. So we work with a broker who is also a miner of Bitcoin and, you know, has built up, um, that kind of a background. And now of course is, is one of the leaders and then helps us acquire the Bitcoin. But before we even get to that point, I mean, something that people often don't think about is we always ask for proof of life. Um, hmm. meaning how do we know that you can unlock these files that, you know, you didn't just somehow find out that this company is dealing with this and say, oh, well, <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> anyone can email you and say, I'm the kidnapper. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so for what we generally will do is we work out an agreement with the attacker that will send them two to three innocuous files because they, they, 
they have all kinds of rules now about they won't decrypt spreadsheets and so on anything that might be important and then we send them these files and we ask them to send them back decrypted so that they prove that yes they have the key and yes that they can decrypt them and then so that's kind of step one is um you know hey i'm here to negotiate <laughs> i'm i'm here to bring the matter to a quick close how much are you asking and prove to us that you can do this first and i think the thing that has amazed me uh over the few years of doing this is we often hear in presentations and so on that oh attackers think of this as a business and that is so apparent when you're dealing with ransomware because some of these attackers we joke the level of customer service is amazing <laughs> <laughs> better better than your bank. It is yeah. in some cases. There was one I was dealing with who, um, when we got all done and he sent me the key to decrypt the client's data, the note he made at the bottom was, you know, he told us step-by-step step how to do it. He kindly attached files with screenshots and had, you know, very- like a manual? Yeah, he'd very professionally drawn arrows and circled things just like a computer manual to show us how to do this. Wow. And then at the very bottom, he said, once you're done, scan your data. <laughs> he said, and run antivirus. It's very important. <laughs> and, you know, I just thought, well, that's odd coming from someone who took advantage of this poor company. But it, it, it's gotten even more so in just the recent past. I mean, we've had recently cases where <laughs> in one case, the uh, when they paid us the the criminal followed up with, let us know how it goes. And all I could think of is, you know, here's, Yelp reviews yes, exactly. here's a link to our, our customer service survey. Well, I guess there is this incentive, right? They want it. If you Google, mm -hmm. if I pay, will it work out for me? Mm -hmm. They want the answer to be yes. Yeah. Uh, and they want as little as friction as possible. They're probably Absolutely. doing, it's all automated. They're probably doing, you know, thousands of these at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're good to work with, you know, uh, maybe they want to make it good to work with you. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it does sound like organized crime. Do you have a sense? Yeah. Is this happening in English or where are these people from? Do mm -hmm. you ever, are you able to trace that with your forensic background or, or any other kind of thing? Sometimes we can. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the professionals, as I guess we'll call them, you know, they use a lot of means to, as they would say on TV, bounce their signal around. They use proxies and things like that so that it, you can't tell where it originated from or where they are located. And so for my own edification, a lot of times I'll try to determine where they're from just based on clues I get in the messages themselves. And sometimes, you know, when you send an email and someone replies to it and, and it puts that message below and that little header says on this date, so-and-so said, mm. sometimes those will be in a foreign language. I had one that was from Poland. I had another one where I was able to trace the email or the IP address and it appeared to be coming out of Malaysia. And then recently I had one where it was very interesting. The first few interactions I had, it very much looked like someone who was probably American, but was trying to make it sound like they were not. And then the further we got into discussion, they kind of just dropped all pretense. And some of it was using very Americanized patterns of speech and ways of writing. Uh, at one point in time, we had sent the files for them to decrypt and they were having trouble decrypting them and they were 
accusing our clients of uh, corrupting them in some way to make them look bad. And, and then they told me that we would owe them more money because they had had to spend time over the weekend troubleshooting why they couldn't get the files to decrypt. And they, they literally said time equals money. And I thought, you know, that's, and the way they wrote it, it was just a very American way to say it. And, you know, sometimes you can tell by where they put the dollar signs. But that attacker was interesting because I, I, could, I heard from them on a schedule. So if I watched the schedule, it was at the start of the workday on the West Coast and then at lunch on the West Coast and then at wow. the end of the day on the West Coast. So, okay, so this is someone in yeah. Sacramento or Portland yes. or Los Angeles. And probably using a, a shared computer at work. <laughs> so I guess I had a couple kind of closing questions. One was I noticed in what you were saying that some of your employees are women mm -hmm. and you're one of the bosses, your you know, founder and CEO is a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that's not typical, but again, maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm wrong. What's the ratio of kind of women in, in your company or, or mm -hmm. in this industry? Well, I think our company is a bit unique. Um, I, I think in our company, we're about 50, 50. Wow. Um, our executive team, there's four of us and three of us are women and that, none of that's on purpose. It, it's just, we try and find the best people for the job and that's what happened. Mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate to, to meet some very strong and talented women throughout my career who have kind of mentored me and then led the way. And so I can, speaking from my experience, I've, there's always been several women everywhere I've worked, you know, if I, if I get on Twitter and I <laughs> read uh, various articles, I understand that that's not the case. Uh, and sadly, fewer women aren't going into technology and cybersecurity as a career, which I think is so unfortunate because it's just, it's an amazing career. It's fun. It's challenging. We, we kind of are surprised, I think, when when people comment on, oh my gosh, you're you're a women-led cybersecurity company because we don't even think about it anymore. We're just we're just LMG. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Karen. I really appreciate the time you shared with me today and the stories you shared. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed being on your show, and um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Thank you again to Karen, who you can find at lmgsecurity.com or follow on Twitter at GRL underscore geek. Thank you to Furniture for our theme music and thank you for listening. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with friends. And please join me again when I speak with Skylar Rampersad about digital warfare, the mindset of a black hat hacker, and being recruited by the NSA. That's next time on The Hacker Next door.